This evening's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, reading from verse 26, and that can be found on page 1145. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, reading from, from verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not do nullify the things that are, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thank you very much, Brenda. Good evening, everyone. Deeply, please keep God's word open in that last paragraph of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's pray as we come to him. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Please would you reveal your son to us this evening by the power of your spirit. Help us to see who we truly are. Help us to see who your son truly is and what it looks like to live in him. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Christchurch Banstead. We are all about Jesus. That's what it says on the window outside, on our notice board, on our website, on our Facebook page. We're all about Jesus. It's in our welcome pack. It's in our giving pack. We're all about Jesus. But if that slogan was taken down, if we removed that strap line from our branding... Would it still be true? If we did take it down and maybe we welcomed a new person to Christchurch, would they see it in our life together that we are all about Jesus? Maybe they came for a few Sundays, they came along to some of our midweek groups and events, and about a month later we asked that, that new person, What do you think Christchurch is all about? How would they answer? What is it that brings this group of people together? What are they all about? What do they spend their time doing together? What do they talk about? What sort of people belong here? What do they have in common? Now, we would love people to realize that the answer to all those questions is Jesus, wouldn't we? That we, Christchurch, are all about him. So how can we show that more and more? Well, a good place to start is to consider what these verses tonight teach us about who we are, about how we have come to believe in Jesus and to belong in God's church. Last week, we saw how God has wisely and powerfully been saving people and continues to save people through the weak and foolish message of the cross. This message that we proclaim here as the answer to humanity's greatest problem that that very message, the cross, is not impressive in the eyes of the world. And not only is our message not impressive, 
but we are not impressive either to the world. Church is not impressive. That's what tonight's paragraph teaches us. We are the living proof that church is not impressive. (laughs) We are the living proof that there are no head starts with God, that the way of salvation has nothing to do with how impressive any of us are to anyone, least of all God himself. And you know, that's a really good thing. God has planned it this way. He's designed it this way in order to make it clear what church is all about, to make it clear who church is all about. Here's the big idea of our verses this evening. God chooses the nobodies that they might boast in his son. God chooses the nobodies that they might boast in his son. We're going to look at the two parts of that sentence in turn. Firstly, God chooses the nobodies. Looking particularly at verse 26 to 29, God chooses the nobodies. We can all identify with the longing to be a somebody, can't we? To stand out in some way, to have something about us that people find impressive. Maybe having something that attracts other people to us. To be a, a somebody, somebody with, with friends, with influence, to be popular, to, to make a difference, to succeed, to achieve, to be a somebody. Well, it was the same for the people living in first century Corinth. Corinth was a very exciting place to live, full of influences that people could choose to follow. You had, for example, your touring philosophers and public speakers. They were very impressive at the way they brought their latest ideas and wisdom, communicating how they thought life should be lived. And then you also had others in Corinth who were influential because they were the people with lots of money. They were the big employers, the patrons, the nobility. They were the Lord and Lady Aristarchus and co. With their large estate, their private chef, their dinner parties. If you got in with them, and if you got their backing for your little venture, then you were well on your way in society in Corinth. These were the somebodies of Corinth. Everybody wanted to be friends with them. Everybody wanted to be them. And so it would be very easy to think in that culture, if you were God, that the way you would get your message about your son out to Corinth would be to start by first getting it to people like Lord and Lady Aristarchus, the people with the most influence and followers, the ones who keep getting asked to do interviews with Hello Magazine. But what that world of first century Corinth and our world today, 21st century Britain, what these worlds, the world in general, count as important and valuable, actually count as absolutely nothing in in God's plan of delivering the ultimate good life to people. These things that claim to offer so much are exposed, as we see by God, as worthless. See, in his great plan of salvation, God just deliberately makes sure that nobody can figure out the way of eternal life through their own wisdom. Rather, as we saw last week, anyone and everyone are invited to believe in this foolish-sounding message of Christ crucified. And when they do believe in him, they are saved. And related to that, in our passage this week, Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth that they have 
become part of this church not by being a somebody. You see, being a somebody is not what unites these people. And to prove it, they need only look around their church family at one another and realize, ah, yes, there aren't many somebodies here. Well, this great plan of God is unpacked by what Paul says here in verse 26 to 29, including the purpose of it all. Why has God done things this way? He doesn't choose wisdom, influence, or nobility. Look at verse 26 with me. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. These three categories, these things, and many more besides, are not things that God takes into account when he calls people to his son Jesus. There are no advantages. There are no head starts. And so the world looks in on your average church family and has a little look and says, hmm, nothing too impressive here. Being part of this group of people is not going to help me on my quest to becoming a somebody. And you know, as a church family, we can be really, really happy with that, really content with that. We should be really content with that. Do you ever sometimes find yourself thinking, wouldn't it be great if that person became a Christian? Think of the influence they could have. Surely if that star footballer or that great singer or that social media influencer or that YouTuber with all those subscribers, if they became a Christian, well, surely hundreds and hundreds of people would follow, right? Mm, It doesn't follow. It doesn't follow. Praise the Lord if some of those people do become followers of Jesus. We should pray for them and, and encourage them. But God himself does not need these platforms to save anybody. He doesn't need that worldly influence. That is not the strategy. It's not 99% God's rescue plan and 1% dependent on the influencers getting getting the word out. No. And not only does God not choose these things, but he shames them. Verse 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. See the repeated words there? God chose, God chose, God chose. To shame, to shame. Punchline, to nullify. And so as this message of the cross is proclaimed and a community is formed that that believe it, that trust in Jesus, that is all of God's doing. Nobody can say that their strength, their influence, their background has given them entry, even a little part payment of the entry into God's kingdom. Nobody, not in the slightest. See, in the world's way of thinking, if you hang around with the right people of honor for long enough, you hope that some of their honor will rub off on you. And that's kind of why you do it. Well, this is not the case in God's community, not so with us, the church. And God plans it all like this for the beautiful reason that we see in verse 29 there, so that no one may boast before him. 
in the church family and God's new community in Christ, there are no individuals who can sing their own praises in that context. There is no look at me, but there should be an awful lot of look at Jesus. A great deal of praising the God who delights to bring down the powerful from their thrones, humble those who, who think they are the somebodies, and the God who raises up the lowly. There should be a great deal of praise for this God who welcomes into his kingdom those who are poor in spirit. By the way, notice back in verse 26, it says, not many. It doesn't say not any. It says not many. So if you look back with me at chapter 1, verse 11, here we read of a lady called Chloe in the church in Corinth. And um, one of the few things we read about her there is that she has a household which suggests some level of, uh, of wealth and means. And then just a few verses forward, there's another guy mentioned there, Crispus, in verse 14. Uh, we heard about him a couple of weeks ago. We know from the book of Acts that Crispus was the synagogue leader when he became a Christian. So he would have had influence. And so it seems like this church in Corinth had a real mix of people in terms of wealth and influence and background, but not many of them amounted to much as far as the world was concerned. A bit like the lady in uh, this next picture that we see on the screen. Um, she's called Selena Hastings. She was born in 1707 in a castle in Northamptonshire into a noble family. She married the Earl of Huntington, and so she became the Countess of Huntington. She was a personal friend of King George III. Now, Selina, in that context, became a Christian, a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing the powerful message of the cross. And she started to follow Jesus in that context. And she used to say that she was thankful to God for the letter M. She was referring to our verse here, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, that she was from a privileged background, she was, humanly speaking, noble, but she knew that she was only in God's community by his grace. She was thankful that these verses didn't say not any, but not many. By the way, Selina funded the planting of 116 churches, she co-founded a college that trained 250 preachers. Churches are made up of a mix of people from different backgrounds. And we should rejoice in that because we, it helps us to see and it helps others to see that being part of our community isn't about being a certain type of person. It's not about being influential, of noble birth, or, or whatever, any category we could throw into that mix but rather all of us are only here because of God, because of what he has done for us in his son, Jesus. And so if you're here with us tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're sort of looking into Christ church and Christian things from the outside, please take this to heart. Please know that you don't have to be a certain type of person to belong here. Please don't think that you've got to have a certain type of 
work or job or house or way of speaking or a place where you live or the types of friends you you mix with or your family background. None of those counts for you to be welcome here. None of those things unites the church family here. But the thing that does unite us, the thing that does bring us together, the person who does all that is Jesus. We are united in him. And so there are no pecking orders here. Nobody is here on their own merits. But together as a church family, we invite you, if if you're still looking into all this, we, we want you to get to know Jesus. Because for all of us, he, he's our reason for being here. He's our reason for life itself. He's our, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption, as we'll get on to in a minute. If you'd like to know more about that, we heard about exploring Jesus earlier. We'd love you to come along to that, or if you're planning to come to the ladies' night off on Tuesday, you'll hear more about this there as well. God chooses the nobodies. And that's great. And he does so, secondly, that they might boast in his son. It's 30 to 31. God chooses the nobodies that they might boast in his son. If God was to ask you tonight, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer boil down to? Would it basically be in the category of, well, Lord, you should let me in because of what I have done for you? Would it sound like that? Or would it be, Lord, only because of what you have done for me? Well, Paul reminds the Corinthians that it's the second of those answers that is true and life-giving. So look at verse 30 with me. The hymn is God here. It's because of him, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. See, the Corinthian church are God's people, but they're not God's people because of stuff they've done, because of themselves, but because of him, because of God. The same holds true for us. We are not God's people because of anything we've done, but because God has saved us by his grace. It's because of him that we're in Christ Jesus. This has been God's way of operating throughout history. So if you read Old and New Testament and the relationship between God and his people, this is consistent throughout. So way back in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells the nation of Israel, don't think that it was because you were more numerous than the other peoples that I chose you. It wasn't that. In fact, as you read through the Bible, you can often spot the times where God is using the the most unlikely people to bring about his great purposes. Now, Jesus himself would teach in parables that the first shall be last and the last first. And when faced one day with some people who just couldn't work Jesus out despite all their wisdom and their religious, religious pedigree, Jesus turned to his father in Matthew chapter 11 and prayed these words. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And so the the upshot of this, the effect of all this, is that 
all praise, all glory, all honor for our salvation goes to God. He deserves it all. We are saved not by any of our works, not by 0.5% what we've done and 99.5% what God has done. It's absolutely nothing of what we've done or who we are or how we've arrived in this life. It is because of him that we are in Christ Jesus. So, in our church family, it may well be, like Corinth, that not many of us are impressive by the standards of this world. But, you know, all of us here whose faith is in Jesus, all of us share the same high status before God. So, if you're a Christian here tonight, the most important thing about you through all of your life is... It's not your intelligence, your influence, your your house, your bank account, your job, your family connections, your privileges, or the lack of any of those things. The most important thing in your life is not something that has been achieved by you, but it's something that's been given to you. As it says, verse 30 again, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. And this new high status, this being in Christ Jesus, is so glorious. It's the one identity that can truly deliver. It can truly bring peace and eternal purpose to your life. It's the one identity that deals with the worst bits about us and deals with them forever. It's the one identity that grants us what we don't deserve, but what we need most in all of life. And God offers these things to all who will put their faith in Christ Jesus as Savior and King of their lives. If you do that, then you too can enjoy this wonderful new high status. And the reason that is true is explained in in this verse. Because those who trust in Jesus are joined to him. That's what it means to be in Christ Jesus there, halfway through verse 30. And so what happens then when we trust Jesus and are joined to him is that his status before God becomes our status. His perfect life of righteousness and being set apart for God becomes credited to us. His death on the cross can cover all of our sin. And now we can truly live in him, being made more and more like Jesus each day. It's a wonderful thing, God's plan of salvation. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our Jesus is our righteousness, he's our holiness and redemption. And so in this community, in Jesus' community, we don't do what the world does where the world, where people in, out there are just always either forever looking up to people that they want to be more like or looking down on other people who they don't think are as important as they are. That shouldn't be the case with us as church. As we look around, as we live in freedom together as the people of God, what counts here is not anything that any of us bring on a worldly level, what counts here is Jesus. 
And in him, we all share the same status, the same belonging, the same purpose. And so the way we live our life together, our recurring passion and things that we talk about, the theme tune of Christchurch, should be exactly what we find here in verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. As we heard Daniel read um, this quote from Jeremiah earlier, it's just another reminder that this has always been God's way of doing things. Let's hear those verses again from the prophet in Jeremiah 9. This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So it follows from all that we've learned from 1 Corinthians 1 here, that in church, boasting about anything in us is to be very out of place. It's not the kind of thing we we do here. Rather, our focus should be on boasting in Jesus Christ, telling one another all that he has done for us. Again, let me speak to those of you who are maybe not sure about Jesus yet, who you think, I'm on the fringe of church, I'm just looking in. Great to have you, by the way. Really good that you're here. But as you look on at Christchurch, as you observe us, let me ask you, are you impressed by the people here? As you get to know us, do you think, "Mm, yeah, this is quite a nice church. There are some impressive people here that I'd like to hang out with a bit more. Well, if that's you, okay, great. But we don't want you to be impressed by us as people. We do really want you to be impressed by Jesus. And I think as church, we can, we can do more. We can challenge one another more to, to make this the case in our life together, to help our, our guests, our friends, our family, those we invite to hear this good news. We can do that by putting verse 31 into practice, by boasting more and more and more consistently in the Lord Jesus Christ. What might that look like in our life together? It might be in our conversations with those who are new to Christian things. When we talk with them about the church here and the subject comes up about whether people are impressed by what we do here or they think we're doing a good job in the community or they're, they're really surprised at the sort of caliber of people that come to Christchurch or whatever it might be. It's easy in those conversations to nod and say, Yes, we're really thankful for how God has blessed us with great facilities and people. That's great, but don't leave that conversation there. See it as an opportunity to boast in Jesus. Say something like, yes, it's great that those people are part of this church. But you know, the most important thing about all of us here is that we know Jesus, that Jesus has changed our lives, that he's saved us. Why don't we go and talk to that person there about what Jesus has done for them? We might see these verses lived out more and more as we also decide to talk to people in our church family who are different from us, and we do this more and more as well. 
It's very easy in our relationships with one another to slip into thinking how the world thinks and forgetting that it's because of God that we're all in Christ Jesus. So how do you and I decide who we're going to talk to after a church service or keep in touch with or pray for? Do we slip into this mindset of thinking, I'm going to talk to that person because they're more important. They're going to make my life a bit better if I get to know them. And I'm not going to talk to those people over there. Or maybe just sometimes it's more, we just wouldn't know what to say. We think, I've got nothing in common with that person over there. I wouldn't know what to talk with them about. If you do find yourself having those conversations with yourself up here, don't leave those conversations there. Boast in Jesus. Talk to as many of your brothers and sisters in Jesus as possible, whatever their status or background, whatever your status or background. If you don't know what to talk about, talk about Jesus. He's who you have in common. He's your righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Let me encourage you to do the same when you're tempted to prefer one leader or preacher over another. Maybe you're chatting with somebody else about how helpful a particular Bible teacher or leader has been to you. That's great. That's wonderful. But don't leave the conversation there. Boast in Jesus. Make sure you glory in him. Look for leaders that help you boast in Jesus because they're doing that well. And when Satan tempts you to sin, when he brings up all of your past failings to accuse you, to try and get you to doubt that you are truly God's child and you belong in his family, when that conversation in your head and heart just gets to that awful twisted conclusion that actually you should just give in to sin or that you can't be forgiven by God or any other lie that that Satan comes up with, When you feel like that, don't leave that internal conversation there. Boast in Jesus. Yes, we might be nobodies. We might have a history of failing or messing life up in certain areas. But that is not now who we truly are in Jesus. So say in those moments in your heart, because of God... I am in Christ Jesus. I have worth. I belong to Jesus. I am joined to him. He is my righteousness, my holiness, my redemption. And I'm going to live for him. Glory in Jesus in those moments. Boast in him. God chooses the nobodies that we might boast in his son. So let's be a bunch of content nobodies for Jesus. Let's boast in him and let's truly be all about Jesus. Let's pray and start with some time of silent prayer for us to reflect and to bring the prayers of our hearts to our Heavenly Father. And I'll close us in prayer. Lord, our loving Heavenly Father,
Our prayer is that we may never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to us and we to the world.